Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. This is your co-host, Perry, joined by the whole crew, absent the short one. Um, Luke's running a little bit late today, so we we go ahead and get this thing started. Got... Derek, Carter, and our guest of honor for today, Evan, my little brother. How's it going, boys? What's up, man? Good to be here. Excited to uh, recap this Idaho adventure. Yeah, man, good to see you. Haven't seen either of you in a while. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's been, man, I don't even know when the last time I was on a podcast, but it's good to be back. Knock the rust off here. Yeah, for sure, man. It's good to have you. I'm excited to talk about this trip. Um, you guys waiting for me? You to and say I had him. <laughs> there was a long, dramatic pause. No, I'm I'm excited to talk about this trip. You and I were uh, fortunate enough to go out to Idaho this year, getting after some elk, and um, it was something we uh, we were looking forward to for a long time, and looking forward to being able to share some of those stories. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, been about five years in the making now that um, been trying to connect on an elk in Idaho, and it it finally panned out. Not to have a spoiler alert, but we did walk away successful. But man, it was it was not as easy as just putting in a tag and driving or flying out west and coming home with the elk. Um, and we'll unpack all the details here, but it's uh it was a long journey to get that first one done. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's it's crazy too because obviously you and I, um, this was our first. Well, for me, this was my second. I had Colorado earlier in the season, and then Idaho on this trip. But um, this year was our first year headed out west. Um, Carter, I know you're still relatively new to the Western deal. Derek, you made a trip out west this year as well. So for us Eastern boys, um, which all four of us are, making that first kind of foray into Western hunting, just like learning the systems, learning the tags. And we talked about it all before, but it can be extremely intimidating. There's so much to learn. It's confusing as shit because they handle things so much differently. And then on top of all that, you've got all the logistics to work out too. So um, it's a, it's a, it's an awesome experience. We, I know we've all um, really learned a lot from some of our Western trips, but um, it's one of those things that put in the tags invest you know save the money put it in and it you know it's a it's a great learning opportunity yeah it took about me probably 15 minutes to realize why these diy public land hunts have a less than 10 percent success rate because it's it's rough it's rough terrain and then you got to go chase those fucking animals where they are and uh and hopefully some other hunter doesn't fuck it up for you along the way and for four dudes from Appalachia, I feel like you're, you know, you're living the dream right here. Like watching Jeremiah Johnson in the basement with my granddad, like Evan's the only one out of the group of us that has put hands on a bull that he shot. You're, you're living the dream, man. 
Oh man, it was it was fantastic. I think I was all smiles for hours, if not days. Perry can attest to it. It was, and man, it we didn't we didn't just walk up and shoot the first thing we saw. Um, that's for sure. We we earned it. We worked for it. That's for. I mean, it was it was by far the most physically demanding uh, five days of my life stateside, and it rivaled um, a few days that I spent overseas for work. Um, as far as the level of physical fitness that it required, I will say that if um, you're going to go backcountry elk hunting in probably any place where there's large populations of elk and you don't want to be surrounded by other hunters and you really want to get back off the trail, it's it's not something to underestimate. And uh, I know we talked before we hit the record button here that we were going to talk about some of the prep, but that's definitely a big a big thing I want to touch on as far as prep wise, like I, I don't want to throw out arbitrary numbers, but I would be confident in saying that I'd say about there's, there's no way in hell that 50% of the population could just go do that and be successful doing what me and Perry and uh, one of our other buddies that was kind of showing us the ropes and he had a wolf tag and a mule deer tag. So he was trying to get that as well. But I mean, it was, it was fucking challenging, man, but it was, it was awesome at the same time. With that, why don't you go ahead and jump into your prep? Like talk about, uh, what you did physically and, uh, and logistically to, to get this thing rolling and actually get some success off there. Yeah, for sure, man. So to start a little backstory here, um, Derek, you obviously know, Chad, um, the three of us have worked together, been on the ground together in a shitty Valley in Afghanistan. Um, yep. And so Chad started hunting with Perry and I, me and Chad worked together, obviously. And then Chad's brother, um, is also a big time hunter. So they grew up out West, uh, chasing mule deer, chasing elk. They are diehard, uh, game pursuers. And so me and Chad bonded over that. Um, he came out to our farm. He's killed several deer there. Um, they've brought their families there. Their children have killed their deer there. Chad's brother, Trent, um, brought his daughter there. She killed a whopper. Was it nine pointer Perry? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was about what three years ago. Um, it was her first deer. I think she was seven, maybe eight years old. It was her first deer. Um, it was an awesome buck, and uh, they had a they had a great time. Yeah, it really was. And unfortunately, that was a that was a trip that I was deployed for, um, which kind of goes into why it took five years to finally connect on an elk hunt. Um, so because of that, we've been, you know, Chad and his family and Trent and his family, they've been coming and hunting with us. They've been trying to pay it forward and they wanted to bring Perry and I out West, uh, to hunt and show basically reciprocate. You know, we brought them out East our, where we grew up hunting and they wanted to bring us out West and show us where they grew up hunting. And so I wasn't able to make that trip for about five years due to work and deployments. And then I have a small child. And so when I would come home from deployments, obviously I'm not going to run off and leave her when, uh, to go hunting. So it just took a while for it to come together. Well, it finally came together this year. Uh, deployment schedules lined up. Afghanistan obviously closed down. Most people are tracking that. So a little, little slower on the work front there. Um, and so I think it was back in, I don't even remember when I got submit. Do you remember when I drew the tag, Perry? What month was that? It doesn't matter, but I've been on for three seconds and Evan's already getting tied up in details that don't fucking matter at all. Fuck you, Luke. Go ahead and just leave. It was better before you came <laughs> anyway. 
anyway, drew the tag. So had a few months to prep. Um, basically, the prep started with gear. It was my first uh, Western hunt. Me and Perry were tied in closely with Trent. We knew, um, obviously, we're experienced outdoorsmen. Um, but there was a lot of the prep was just getting all the gear laid out and making sure we had everything. Footwear was a big one. Um, Perry bought a new pair of boots. I did not. I was going to and then decided against it and was going to run some boots that I had. I regretted not buying the new boots. So moving forward before I do another um, rigorous mountain backwoods hunt, I will upgrade my footwear. So lesson, hard learned lesson there. Um, as far as prep, other than that, it was mostly tying in with Trent what boot, on... What boots did you buy? Yeah, so I bought a pair of um, Schnees. Uh, I forget the exact model, but they have a little bit of insulation. Um, they were what uh, our buddy Trent recommended. Um, solid boot. I'd you know, warm a few times before the hunt, got them good and broke in. And just, I mean... Like Evan said, dude, I walk in the woods for a living. Obviously, I'm not like, you know, hardcore into the fitness like um, like he is. But, you know, I my cardio is pretty solid. Um, I'd, you know, consider myself in decent shape. And, I mean, he's 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 not exaggerating a bit when he says, when he's describing the, the challenge, the physical challenge of this hunt. But I will say, just from the beginning of the trip to, you know, five days in, my feet were, were fine. Um don't underestimate what a good pair of boots can do for you in terms of keeping you comfortable spending that much time in the mountains. For sure. And Perry, and Perry can tell you, like I was, I was fine. I didn't get blisters or anything like that, but his feet weren't hurting at the end of the day. My feet were fucking killing me. Like I was, by the time we got done and back to the Airbnb, I was ready to get the boots off. Um, so I, again, hard lesson learned there. Going to be dumb. You got to be tough, homie. That's right. I upgraded right. boots this year, and it made a, a huge difference. Just it was actually we did the uh, our antelope hunt where Perry and I ended up walking a lot more than we expected for day hunting, and uh, and I went ahead before Wyoming and bought. I went, I did a ton of research, and like I like the Schnees. The problem with Schnees is I just wanted to be able to t- uh, try them on, and I ended up going to Shields, and they had on the like return rack. Somebody had returned a pair of. Uh, Zamberlands that were in my exact size, which how many times has that happened, you know? And so they were like 30, 40% off, something like that. So I scooped them up and best I can tell, Crispy, Zamberland, Schnees, Kenetrek, all those top end boots, they're all made, most of them are made in Italy and they're all made like on the same fucking street by the same boot maker. So they're damn near identical. And, uh, but I, there's a huge difference between those high end boots versus every other pair of boot I've, I've worn my entire life. But moving forward off of boots, so another lesson I learned, and I think Perry can attest to this as well, is I overpacked. Um, so I've always had the mantra of I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it, right? Well, I still believe in that. That being said, I also learned that there's you don't need four of the same thing for one of these hunts. Um, and again, I'm used to packing for a deployment for four months where you're not going to be able to replace something, you've got to bring what you bring. Because if you if a piece of equipment that you need fails, it's not like you can just go to the store and buy it. So I definitely overpacked. I see Perry's got something to say there, so I'll pause. Yeah, I did the same thing. I overpacked as well. And on that note, I mean, a lot of it depends on the, the type and the style of hunt you're going to be doing, right? And the, the accommodations that you're going to have. 
it was we were uh, unsure until um, fairly last minute whether we were going to be staying in an Airbnb and just doing day trips, which is what we ultimately decided to do, or uh, doing the you know the full backcountry option where we um, went in on horses, packed our our wall tents, the stove, or the whole nine, and we just you know stayed out there the entire trip until we were hopefully successful. So that was a bit of an unknown for us as we were kind of prepping and packing for this. So I think Evan and I both erred on the side of caution, um, you know, having that at least be a potential option. And then also just the unknown with the weather, you know, we, we knew we were going to be at high elevations. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I told my wife is like, I'm basically taking all the cold weather gear I have because to your point, Evan, I'd rather have it and not need it. Um, which we did, you know, we didn't really end up needing a lot of it. The weather was cold, but it wasn't brutal. It was, you know, it was very manageable. And when you're doing that amount of walking and that amount of climbing, um, you can, you know, you generally stay pretty warm. Yeah. The best way that I, I mean, same type deal, right? You always pack, you got redundancy and all this dumb shit. And then the, the best way for me was like my first elk hunt. That was like in a straight backcountry backpack, you know, no horses, no ATVs, just walking. And you realize real quick, like I haven't touched this, whatever this thing is this entire time. Why the fuck am I carrying it? And it just makes you really scrutinize what you've got in your pack. And then every time you do a backcountry backpack hunt, you just tighten it up more and more and more. And like, there's certain things that like I haven't needed, you know, like a you know Tuesday tips. We were talking about tourniquets. Yeah. I haven't needed a tourniquet yet, but I'm still going to, it's worth the four ounces to bring a tourniquet, but you know, this super robust med kit probably don't need it. Like, and so I, I've, you know, strip that down to just to stop the bleed kit, you know, all that kind of stuff. You really start to, where can I cut weight? What's important? What's not? And then, you know, like the pack weighs what it weighs. And I think right around 50 pounds is, you know, with water is about where you want to be for guys our size. Now well, and Perry, maybe about 30, 25, something like that. <laughs> well, and I'm kind of like Evan, I pack everything. I pack six of everything. Cause Luke can attest to this. I'm fucking, he started calling me gypsy camp on every trip we've been on. Cause I lose everything twice in one day. So you gotta, you know, you gotta play to your weaknesses and you know, plan accordingly. So sometimes you need to bring six. Yeah. Fucking rucksack looks like an old prospector. So real quick, <laughs> I mean, just tell this story on Carter. <clears throat> I get back uh, to camp early, a little early when we were in Wyoming and we were just dump camping. So, you know, we were doing day hunts from our, uh, you know, truck camp basically. And I get back and it's pouring the rain, pouring the rain. And I look over at their tent and they're awning right where like the uh, fly comes out, but it's all, there's no uh, rain fly on it. It's just the, the mesh. And so the only part of the tent that is not covered is where Carter's open backpack and bag are with all of his clothes been rained on for the last two hours so I jumped in there as quick as I could and tried to salvage something, but it was bad. So Carter just had wet clothes for the rest of the trip. Old soggy crotch, huh? What smells like wet dog? Yeah, for just the next Carter. three days. Yeah, I mean that it's it's all it's all. I think you you've got to take it and you got to mold it to what your hunt is. You know, like I said, when I deploy, you have a certain amount of room, and I typically don't leave space in my bags because I'll bring that thing that I probably am not going to use, but it might be a nice to have. However, me and Perry, another factor was we were going back and forth. We were going to fly or drive. And when we decided to pull the trigger on flying, I was like, okay, I'm going to bring this many check bags. And we got really lucky. So again, going ahead in the story, Delta ended up not charging us a cent 
not one cent for a checked bag on any of the meat or anything. We did not pay any luggage fees. Um, a lot of that's just due to how many miles I have and all that bullshit. But Thanks for your if service, you, bro. <laughs> if you were, David, are you in the army? I didn't even say anything about the army. I said about my miles. Both of I'm you. I'm actually going to jump in at, when we get to that in the story and talk about being military and flying because a lot of people don't realize the bag benefits we get. But sorry, continue. Yeah. So, but if that wouldn't have been the case, I could have cut down on a check bag on the flight out there if I was paying per check bag, right? Um, you know, I was bringing four sets of base layers, four sets of mid layers, four sets of heavy layers. I was, I was overkill to the max on everything. Um, not to mention like 9,000 feet elevation in the winter. Like the weather was unpredictable. Um, and even checking the forecast out, I didn't want to cut the puffy jacket because they're calling for warmer temperatures and then get up there and the a cold front comes in and all of a sudden we're freezing our balls off. Um, but anyway, I don't want to beat that dead horse. So, so gear prep was, was a big one. There was a lot of factors going into it. So what ended up happening is me and Perry decided to fly out. One of the factors was, is one of our other buddies who we mentioned earlier, Chad was going to come with us. He wasn't able to due to work obligations. Um, so me and Perry decided that, uh, that drive with just two people trying to do it straight wouldn't be as fun. So we just flew. Um, so we flew, decided to do Airbnb instead of tent. Um, and then obviously the weather is a factor. So once we get there, uh, Trent, he has horses, uh, picked us up at the horse trailer and all that, threw our gear in and immediately we don't do anything except head straight to the unit we were hunting and start doing some scouting. And so this was a muzzleloader hunt. And I know, uh, in listening to podcasts that I haven't been on, Luke's talked about the Western rules with, uh, hunting muzzleloaders. Each state's different. Um, and Idaho, muzzleloader it can't be it's an inline muzzleloader but it's you're not using sabo rounds you're not using pirate x pellets and you're not using 209 primers so it's loose um powder it's just the bullet and it's a uh, i can't even think of the word right now percussion cap there you go uh it's a percussion cap instead of a 209 primer which also adds another layer of complexity go ahead Derek. Wouldn't you think um, with these advancements that it would be more ethical for the animal to, to allow this kind of stuff? I mean, you're, it's still a muzzle loader, but you're only helping the accuracy and the distance, or maybe I'm talking on my ass, but that's just my, my thought process on it. Yeah. So the rationale is, so Nowadays, you can there's custom muzzleloaders and there's like high end muzzleloaders that you can buy that you can go out to four or five hundred yards like no problem. Uh, my old sergeant major at Fort Campbell killed a super nice buck at four hundred yards with his muzzleloader. So the I think the rationale with the Western states is that it's it's the point is it's just like archery tackle. It's supposed to be harder, lower efficacy, so you can give out more tags. And if you're able to have the same, essentially the same ballistics out of a you know sailboat inline muzzleloader that you can do if you're real hardcore about it then what's the point and so that's why states do open site only i kind of agree though like i think open site only is going to limit you enough why would you then make it only percussion cap instead of 209 primer the only real difference is the f like like those 209 primers are they're finicky and the percussion caps are even more finicky on whether or not they go off so but i mean yeah that's just 
it's by, state by state. Not every Western state's that way, but Colorado and Idaho, I know, are two that you, you can't use optics uh, or yeah. Sabos. Yep. But you so, can use 209s in Colorado. So yeah, we were we were limited there as well. Um, the the one benefit that uh, I was using Trent's muzzleloader because the one I had uh, was not set up for that. You couldn't. The, I didn't have the right breech for the percussion caps, um, and obviously during this ammo shortage and all that, things were hard to find. Trent was like, "I've got a muzzleloader. It'll save you from having to fly with a firearm. Just use mine," uh, which was phenomenal. He has a peep sight on it, so it's not the traditional iron sight uh it's a it's a peep sight for those who don't know what i'm talking about basically you're looking through a tiny circle um and for your rear sight aperture and then in the front it's a, a post with an illuminated i don't a red, is it a reticle it's just a post illuminated dot kind of similar but you're just floating that front sight post in the center of that circle um so obviously flying in jet lagged me and perry uh real, real quick yeah, on that front sight aperture how was it a pretty small, fine fiber it was. on that front side post? It was. Trent Trent has killed mule deer with this muzzleloader. I believe he said the furthest one was like at 220, if that tells you anything. A mule deer at 200 yards open sight with like your normal open sight uh, mounts, you're going to cover up essentially the entire uh, torso of that animal. Um, with this one, you're able to get a lot more precise. Uh, it's a lot more fine front, front sight post. Um, lot smaller so you're able to get that precision shot now it's also going to be harder to see in low light conditions it does have that illuminated bead on it but it's still it's a small one it's it's much smaller than like well not much smaller because we're talking millimeters here if not half a millimeter but um it's it's smaller than like my sight pins on my bow um but to, to get yeah, it's, it's got to be smaller there. than what what i have on mine because that was the issue that perry and i were running into in uh, on our antelope hunt was that you know, even at a hundred, even like that's if you're looking at a front angle shot head on that front, it's like when I had the one within range, when I put the beat on it, it was completely covered up the chest and I still yeah. probably should have shot. But when I set up a muzzle loader to, to continue on these Western hunts in the States that don't allow optics, I will 100% go with a peep sight after using Trent's. I loved it. It was great. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we, Trent picks us up, horse trailer rolls up, we throw our shit in the take off. Uh, I think we made a stop one stop and then we went to the unit. We started doing some scouting. We had a few hours. Um, we were just driving around looking to see if we could spot some herds up on the snow caps. Um, and then we also wanted to shoot that muzzleloader. Obviously it was my first time shooting a new gun. We're not going to just go out and hunt with a, um, I'm not going to go out and just hunt with a rifle. I've never shot before. Plus he transported. We wanted to make sure the site was good. So we go, we find a, just a rock at a hundred yards. It was like the size of a pie plate, throw up on the door and right before dark crumped off and smoked the rock. We're like, fucking hell yeah. Good to go. Super easy. Next day or we go back to the Airbnb, cook up some grub and then, uh, get ready for the day. So come forth our plan. And again, Trent grew up hunting here and I want to make this clear. He wasn't guiding us. He, uh, he had a wolf tag. He had a mule deer tag. He was looking to fill those tags and he was reciprocating, um, for, uh, Perry and I and Luke taking them hunting on our farm. And then he was trying to get us out there after a few years. So he wasn't, he wasn't guiding us. Uh, it was just a, a friend going with us and showing us the ropes and the stuff he knew. Um, so we go to a spot that he's been to several times, him and one of his friends, they kill a lot of elk here, have killed a lot of elk here. Um, and day one, uh, we were, we were horseback in. It was pretty cold. 
that morning. I, don't, I think it was like what twenties, Perry, somewhere around there. Yeah, it was in the. I think it was in the low twenties when we got out of the truck and and saddled up. Um, warmed up a little bit that day. It was a nice day, um, brisk, but you know, not too bad. Weather wasn't much of an issue that day at all. Yeah, and so horseback in, and uh, <clears throat> which was again, I for those listeners who were new. Um, me, Luke and Perry, Luke, Perry and I, we grew up with our grandfather on horse and we always talked about taking a trip like this. So for me and Perry, it was, it was a, a once in a lifetime hunt, or we used to call it a once in a lifetime hunt. Now doing it in our adult life, we realize that it's not that unattainable. Um, but it's still, it was a, it was a dream come true. I mean, backcountry horseback riding, watching the sun come up from the back of a horse, you know, you can see your horse's breath. You can see your breath. You're being quiet and you've got to gun and your leather scabbard like it, it doesn't get any more just pure than that and if like if you ever experienced that and you don't enjoy it because your hands are cold from holding on to the reins then just turn around and go home because it ain't for you man like that's all i gotta say on that uh, that's straight up it, but jeremiah johnson shit right there dude man. it was that's, that's it was phenomenal dream. that's Par- the dream 100 that's right man that's Absolutely. what makes a western hunt the only thing that would have been better is if we would have been wearing a bunch of hand skin fur coats, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, bros. I would love a buckskin outfit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perry had his fucking big old fat lip of coughing, gagging in and here we took off. But yeah, so we get, we get to this first, um, little IV line crest and Trent turns around and on the horses and we're whispering. He was like, just so y'all know to get to where we're at right now, it probably would have taken us two and a half hours. And this was 20 minutes on horseback. And we're like, yeah, let's, I mean, in this country, it's for anyone that's never been to, um, Idaho and the mountains of Idaho, Colorado, mountains of Wyoming, uh, Montana, any of these Rocky mountain states in the mountainous regions of these states, it is, gorgeous terrain but man i'm telling you right now as soon as you start stepping there's only one way to go as trent kept telling perry and where's that up and uh it, it true enough uh so we keep going then we crest and i don't know it's what 30 minutes after sunlight when we hit that first little glass spot perry yeah i'd say so we like I say it was uh 20 30 minutes on horseback got up there um found a decent place to let the horses catch their breath for a minute and started doing some glassing and sure enough um up on the the high peak above us, uh, caught our first glimpse. Yeah. On that little shout out to Trent, his horses were fucking phenomenal, man. As soon as we got him out of the trailer, these things, like you could just tell they love it. They're ready to go. They were just fucking charging up the hill. It was, it was great. But we, we tie him up on some sage and we slowly crest. Um, again, Trent's been doing this entire life. He knows what he was doing. And, uh, me and Perry were very fortunate to have a mentor like that with us. Um, and we get up there and sure as shit, we're scouting. Me and Perry are bickering back and forth because we can't see what the elk Trent's looking at. He spots one, sorry. He sees a group and I'm trying to talk Perry on to him. He can't see him. I'm getting, you know, brother we love. I'm getting cranky with him like the right fucking there, you dumbass. And Trent's like cracking up at us. And so then Trent starts to talk Perry on. Finally, Perry gets on to him. We see him and it's a group of three bulls. It was a bachelor group of bulls. They were about a mile and a half. Um, one of them was a really good bull. He was like, I think Trent, Trent called him a trophy bull and Trent's killed, I think 40 elk in his lifetime. So if he's calling, if he's calling it a trophy bull, then he's, <laughs> he's serious on it. So me and me and Perry are like, what the fuck, you know, this is under an hour day one and we're seeing bulls. 
Then Trent's like, oh, there's another herd just super casually. And me and Perry are like, what the fuck? And then sure enough, about two and a half miles away up on this probably 12,000, 13,000 feet in elevation mountain range, nothing but snow and rock. You could see a group of about 12 to 20 um, elk. It was a lot harder to tell if there was bulls and cows there. Trent said he could see bulls. I couldn't tell the difference, but he could tell how they were positioning themselves in the herd and how their bodies looked through the glass, which was super impressive to me because if he wouldn't have told me that and taught Perry and I that, I'm not going to speak for you, Perry, but I would have never been able to distinguish between bulls and cows in that aspect. No, and, and hearing him describe it, like you said, based on their position within the group, um, the way they were, you know, kind of, um, uh, you know, keeping themselves with their body language, it, it's still, I was like, man, I, I'm not seeing it. I just, you know, I, I'm used to looking at whitetail um, and two and a half miles away, a herd of elk. Um, up on the mountaintop, it was it was pretty impressive for him to be able to make those kind of distinctions. Yeah, absolutely. So we we sit there for ten minutes just talking. I mean, we weren't in a crazy rush. We're just watching them, observing them, seeing how they're moving, seeing where they're moving. The ones that were super far away, um, if they would have been coming down, they would have been the ones to go after. I don't remember why. Trent said they would be the ones to go after, I think because of the terrain line they were following. Um, but they ended up going up and over and feeding into another unit. So that was obviously out of the question. Um, the, the first group we saw that was actually closer to three group of bulls, they were on this ridge and I'm trying to describe this ridge. Imagine kind of a big bowl. When I say big bowl, I mean miles um, and a mountain where we were standing on one edge of it. It was like a, a horseshoe actually. Uh, we were standing on one edge of that horseshoe and it went up. And then where the bottom of the U of that horseshoe would have been was that snow capped peak with one of the, that biggest group of elk. Well, there was a spur that kind of came down from there through the middle of that horseshoe, if you would kind of making a W, but that spur was not as high. Um, and that's where the bachelor group was. And the wind was not really in our best favor, but it wasn't bad. It was just not. It wasn't perfect conditions to go in on those three, but that was our move. That was our option because that was the, the other ones fed out of our unit. So we take the horses down. They went over that little ridge and Tramp, he was like, I'm pretty sure I know where they're going to bed, but we'll have to be like when we crest up in there, like there's no way to hunt those elk. We couldn't go around them. And he explained, and it makes sense. You want to come down from the top. You don't want to, you don't want to hunt up on these animals. Um, and he was like, but there's a good chance when we crest, they're going to be close. So when he was like, when I say like, we're going to creep, we're going to fucking creep when we're like cresting this. I was like, yep, got it. So we do uh, take the horses. We fucking zig and zag down in there, mile and a half or so on the horses park, park. <laughs> uh, we dismount, tie the horses up on some willows, some pines. Um, and again, it was straight the fuck up. Perry throws in another dip thinking he's Mr. Fucking Outback Jack. And uh, he regretted that in about 10 steps. And uh, I am wearing too many layers because I've been on horseback. Trent's a mountain goat. To describe this guy, he's Luke's height and Perry's build. He's got a big fucking beard. He's wearing like a t-shirt and a flannel shirt, ball cap, pair of jeans, and his boots. And the dude's been drinking nothing but Diet Mountain Dew and eating Chewy Bars. Like... (laughs) And he's fucking destroying me and Perry, like destroying us. That right there is a great lesson, right? You you cannot underestimate 
you know, the power that somebody who is familiar with the territory that you're in and familiar with the shit that you're doing, you cannot underestimate that. And you will learn and get your ass burned time and time again, but you will learn so much faster than if, you know, just say you and Perry went out there and did it yourselves. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just being acclimated to that shit. I mean, you guys are coming from, you know, North Carolina, which I don't know what the highest fucking point North Carolina is probably maybe four grand. And then you're out in Idaho, which is four grand, like in its low spots. Yeah. We were parking the truck at six. So if that tells you anything and we were climbing to nine over nine at the highest. So like, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Me and Perry were at a disadvantage, but you know, and you mama can, didn't raise no bitch. So. That. Like that's, no. that's the shitty part about it. Like you either Ex- plan to be yeah. there for a week or two prior to, to get acclimated, which may happen, may not, or you just fucking suck it up and walk. Yeah. And that's why we took the horses first day. So trying to explain it to us, he was like, well, horse one day we'll be on foot the next day. Get, like for every, he was like, we can back to back the horses, but then they're, they're going to have two days down. So basically day on day off with the horses. So first day, so me and Perry can make sure that our vaginas weren't bleeding from being jet lagged and, you know, being East coast flatlanders as Trent called us. We, we could hang, but yeah, so here we go straight the fuck up. Trent was like, you got the, you got the smoke pole. So you're leading out your shooter. And he was like, he kind of pointed me in the little azimuth we were going to take and we zigzag start going up, um, get to the top and we we're, it's snowing at this point or it's not snowing, but there's snow in the ground at this point. So we start glassing into these pockets of pines, looking through them, seeing we're just moving slow, tree to tree, talking, checking the wind and all that. Um, when I say talking, I mean whispering. Um, we see elk tracks um, get on them. I don't. We so basically what we started doing is we come up with a plan. So if you if you hold your your hand out in front of your face with your fingers pointed away for you from you, and you look at your the back of your knuckles, that's where we were standing on top of this ridge. And then your fingers being these little spurs, we were basically going to zigzag in and out of those spurs, checking these pockets of pines, trying to find them and just leapfrog cloverleaf down the ridge. So we went to one end um, and then we basically just started poking in, glassing, backing out. So we're not walking down the ridge, silhouetting ourselves. We would drop back behind using the cover of the ridge and then crest, poke in, glass. So we do this all morning, um, end up having a, a spot that we have to cross some open terrain. Um, as we cross this open terrain at about 320 yards, these three bulls push out. Don't know if they heard us, saw us, or caught wind of us, but you, we, they start pushing out. We got a good look at them, um, but it was awesome to see. It was the first time Perry and I had seen, well, I'm going to speak for myself again here. First time I had seen elk under 400 yards like that at that point of an animal that size you can clearly see it um and they took off up this other little spur uh we made a decision to haul ass our only option on those was to drop back behind and go around and see if we could catch them if they crossed um ended up not happening don't know where they went they probably dropped off but still we were on elk day one which obviously um surpassed my expectations and dude, speaking of a gut check moment, that that moment when we was when we when they took off in front of us at you know 300, 350 yards, whatever it was, and we were like, and we're you know Trent was like, all right, what do we want to do? Do we want to go after him? Because if we do, we got to fucking book it, man. That was 
that day one, I mean, we booked it. I mean, I don't know how far we, we ran. Cause I mean, we were pretty much running, um, at least trotting, but it was a fucking like, Holy shit. We're not in Kansas anymore. I mean, this shit was, it was, uh, it was up uh, high elevation. I don't think we were quite at 9,000 there, but that was like, all right. Yep. It's real now. Yeah. I think that was about at 75 and you're, you're not wrong. Like I, I'm in pretty good shape and that, that thumped my ass pretty hard. Like that was, <laughs> I was sucking wind and you could tell Trent again, fucking pissing me off, man. Old Mountain Dew boy here, just trudging along like it's nothing laughing at me and Perry as we're like wheezing and fucking noses are running in the cold and everything. But so those elk disappeared into the wild fucking West there. And, uh, we took a little lunch break and glassed and, Nothing really happened. Uh, did we didn't see that other herd? Did they never? They never fed back in on that other side, did they, Perry? Nah, that was the uh, when those bulls ran off. That was the last we saw that day. Yeah, uh, did see some mule deer. That was pretty cool. Saw a lot of mule deer from that spot. We actually had some that were bedded down about two hundred yards below us while we were eating lunch. We just watched these mule deer um, as we were eating lunch and shit talking each other and uh, hung out there and glassed and crested some IV lines and just looking in pockets and valleys and holes and whatever the rest of the evening and then took the horses back to the Airbnb. Uh, so day two, let me make sure I'm getting it right here. Day two was on foot. Um, we went to another spot. No, that was actually the day two. We went to the same spot, Perry, just a different side of the Valley. No, day two. We, yeah, we did go to a different spot. That was when we went, um, drove up to a different, uh, a different Valley. And that was where we had, um, left out like right, basically right as the sun was coming up, it was colder that day. And there was a little bit of a chance that that, um, little storm was kind of going to blow through the afternoon. Yeah. So it wasn't a super, um, the, the way that Valley kind of shaped out, it didn't have to be a super long hike. That's uh, right. We could, we could get up there relatively quickly if we needed to. So we started going up and that, and remember that's when Trent, um, pretty quickly saw that mom with the, with the, yep. with the, uh, with the baby up above us. Yeah. Yep. So that's right. So we're, we're walking up and it, it, this was a, speaking of like gorgeous Valley, like this, this Valley was like exactly what you think when you think picturesque elk hunting, snow on the ground, um, just fucking phenomenal. And, uh, if y'all heard that kick on behind me, if it's loud, I'm in a hotel room. Not sure what that is, but anyway, so again, sun's coming up, like it's right at shooting light and, uh, there's a mama elk and a, and a calf that have skylighted themselves on a ridge, um, like to our left. I don't remember which direction we were walking, but up, up the ridge is where we're walking up. Um, so we knew there was elk up there at that time of year. Uh, Trent was saying that he was like, it would be very unlikely there'd be a mom and a cow or a, a mom and a calf up there solo. So it'd probably be like a herd or at least a few other accompanying them. So we get up there, um, and we don't see them, but we do find extremely fresh tracks. Like Trent estimated like that morning moving, probably moving at the same time that calf and cow were moving. And this was, you know, by the time we crested up there, it's two hours, an hour and a half later because of the terrain. So we get up there and what we decide to do is just creep on these tracks and see if we can 
because um, they were going directly into bedding. We were going to do what we did the first day and just leapfrog, clover, re- clover leaf in um, and just see if we could scout these pockets of pine. Because where the elk that we saw that morning, that mom and that calf, they were not really in the best position to make a stalk on from where we were. We were hoping that they might feed out uh, in the afternoon. We would get up top, but they weren't going to be our primary um, hunt. We were hoping to get up on the ridge and spot another herd moving to bedding. So again, kind of uh, going backwards here, it's explained to me, this is my first elk hunt. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, but you want to see them um, at first light and they're going to be out feeding and they're going to be feeding to bedding. You want to bed them down and then you want to try to catch them as they're feeding out of bedding for the evening hunt. That's kind of the the rough game plan there. So that was kind of how we were attacking it and making our decisions. You don't really want to push in on bedding uh, from what I understand, you want to try to gauge where they're going to come out. Now, with a muzzleloader or a bow, which obviously we're muzzleloader hunting, you're restricted on range. With a rifle, we would have killed those three bulls day one. Or we would have killed a bull, not three, but we would have got a shot day one. With a muzzleloader, you're obviously restricted on range a lot. So you can't shoot across a valley when it's 400 yards. Uh, so you got to get in on top of them. And so your your tactics change a lot for whichever weapon you're carrying. Uh, so we go up there, um, we start pushing around and honestly, that was probably the slowest day, Perry. What do you think? We didn't really see anything else after that. Yeah, it was definitely the slowest day. We saw those two first thing, like I said, got on those fresh tracks, but never, never caught those animals. Um, ate lunch up there, uh, and then kept checking the forecast and it was looking like that little, um, front or system was coming in. So we had... Uh, we started, we were going to kind of decided we we're going to kind of start hunting our way um, back in the direction of the truck along the top of that ridge, uh, which is what we did just to kind of give ourselves the option in case the weather turned on us. Yeah, which it ended up being the smart decision. Um, and again, lessons learned. Take take the advice of your the guys that have been doing it their whole life. When the, the guy that grew up doing this, he's like, yeah, we should probably move back to the truck because we don't want to be caught here when this weather system coming in. Like me and Perry weren't going to push back on that. Sure as shit, by the time we got to the truck, it was it was coming down snow. And now, would it have been anything that we would have not survived? No. But you never know. You know, you fucking, you roll an ankle when it's clear and nice out. It's a lot different than having to sleep up in the mountain than you rolling an ankle in a fucking blizzard, right? Like, so the weather is a factor. The enemy has a vote as a, I know Derek's heard that super tacky cliche line there. So the weather being your enemy when you're hunting. So day three, fucking no horses go up there. This was one of my favorite days, um, aside from the one of killing the elk. So get up there. And again, we see a big herd soon after getting out of the truck, make a move, um, get to the top. Well, we thought it was the top, but it turns out it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we croach in on this, this herd and it, how many did Trent say it was Perry? Yeah. He kept saying it was like, 80 or a hundred elk. And yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know if it was that many, it was a shitload of elk. It was every bit of 40 or 50. Um, and it was, it was a similar kind of deal where you got this really long, um, kind of horseshoe shaped Valley, but it was like, and just us not being familiar with it. Maybe it was just our own ignorance or maybe the, the terrain was that deceiving, but it was like every time we would move up and get to that next crest and I'll speak for myself. I was like, okay, now we're near to the top. Now we're near where we're going to like make that play, try to catch them, like you say, when they're bedded and when they're going to come back out to feed. 
um, for the afternoon. But it was just like we would get up to the next crest. I'm like, oh, shit, we still got a ways to go. And we get yeah. to that next crest. I'm like, oh, shit, they're still way up above us. And it was just kept going up and up and up. Yeah. Long story short, these elk fucking, it was the best, like, it was the best opportunity to get in close on them that we had had up at this point. It was phenomenal how they just, they just fed around this bowl, staying about uh, two topo lines down from the crest of the ridge. That was perfect. They're staying in the sun. They were bedding, feeding, grazing, just in no rush. Well, we used this little piece of micro terrain, crept right in on top of them. Uh, Perry got some videos. It was pretty cool. You can't see the elk, but uh, if you know where I am in relation to the video, Trent and I, they're about 150 to 200 yards below us in this uh, video. Well, across the valley, another herd was coming out like to join this herd, and this is late season. They weren't supposed to be bugling, but three elk were bugling. One in the herd where we were, which was like 200 yards below us, and then two elk across the valley which for a guy that heard his first elk bugle, like I was all smiles and cold chills, man. It was fucking epic. Well, and to backtrack a second, because, you know, except we'd never heard that day one, we asked Trent, it was like, you know, is there any chance that we'll actually hear some of these bulls sounding off? Um, and he was like, dude, no way. He was like, not in, not in early November. They're done with all that shit. They're, they're going to be silent. And sure enough, as that, that Evan, as Evan described, that second herd was, was uh, moving in to join this first one, those bulls just started calling to each other. And dude, it was the shit eating grin I had on my face as I was sitting there watching y'all creep in and watching these other bulls come in, just bugling their faces off. It was amazing. Dude, same deal in Colorado. They were bugling super late. Uh, I don't know if it's because it was so warm early season, like throughout, like it just was not a cold winter across the West. Uh, like last year we got our first snow, like first week of September, like heavy snow. And we had, we just got a decent snow the other day that was our first first one so it's been it's been crazy i heard i've heard them bugle i was out at uh we got a lot of lot of elk that are on carson uh proper and when i was out at gunnery they were going insane that was still that was october so i mean it's still part of the you know late rut but it was it was way more than i, I think and then it was last year i mean i heard way more than i've i heard the, not ever i've only done this twice but two years but yeah i mean it's crazy it's weird nobody expected that and then the dudes on kafari were talking about the same deal they were out there in late november uh, hunting and uh, mule deer and they were here in the elk bugle so it's weird yeah it was it was an awesome experience man like just i would say that moment there made the trip worth it if we would have came home without punching a tag like that that moment that day just by itself uh, i think would have would have made the trip worth it um not to mention it was fucking bizarre this big ass male black wolf was trailing that second herd which we saw in trent had a wolf tag, um, but he didn't bring his 338 this day because it was a it was a fucking hump of a day. Like we, I mean, we worked our ass off, and so he was like, "I'm I'm not going to focus on that. I just want to focus on the elk." Um, but and, it, and the wolf was 700 yards away, which it could have been. But also, like if he would have taken the shot, it would have fucked us on the elk. But anyway, so the elk were bedding down, and they were not in a hurry. We were wanting them to feed the direction they were, but they just weren't in a hurry. And we were losing daylight at this point. Um, we had crept down uh, and got in on them pretty good. Like uh, I think I was making Trent nervous because I kept creeping, but um, I was staying below the sage and just like sliding on my butt down this hill, and I never crested. Then I would get into a position. I would poke my head up a little bit. I could see a cow. I would get back down and scoot more, just trying to close as much distance 
as feasibly possible with that muzzle loader because I knew I was already at a disadvantage. Um, get to a really good spot and I was rock solid and we were just going to be like, all right, we're just going to set up camp here. I dropped my pack back with Perry. He was hanging back just to minimize the uh, signature there. Um, and Trent was right next to me. We ended up sitting there for what, 20 minutes, Perry? Yeah, I'd say so. That seems about right. 20 minutes. And uh, so I had a unisex tag. I actually was about to squeeze off on this cow and Trent was like, hold up a second. So I do, and there was a bull that was bedded right below some sage that I didn't see. When I say right below the, excuse me, the sage was like in front of me, not in front of the bull, but obstructing my view. So I could see the herd that was a little bit higher, but I didn't see him. Trent saw him. He wasn't, he wasn't anything impressive uh, to most people that know anything about elk. But to me, I would have been beyond ecstatic for this bull. He was like a three by four, not super big, probably a, a two and a half year old bull, um, maybe three, but he wasn't, he wasn't huge, but he was, he was a great bull. I would have been ecstatic to take him, uh, ranged him at 170. Again, open sight muzzleloader. He was bedded down facing us. Um, Trent asked me, we talked about it for a while. He was like, how steady are you? I was like, I'm very steady. I was like, I mean, like the, the front sight holding on him, just taking practice, you know, aims or whatever. Uh, it was not moving at all. And he was like, well, let's see if he gets up. We'll give it a little more time. We gave it a little more time. And he's like, you know what, man, hold it. He was like, cause this is his gun. So I'm taking his advice on it. I've shot it once at this point. He was like, put it right, right below the chin. He was like, at that distance, you're going to put it right in the meat market there. And I was like, full sin. So keep in mind, we've been walking in the back country in the snow for two days now. So another lesson learned here coming up. So I get steady, take my three breaths, uh, squeeze the trigger and the tiny little pop goes off or doesn't go off. The percussion cap does not go. So, but the elk didn't run. So I changed percussion cap out um, or the percussion cap went, I'm sorry, but the powder did not go. So I changed percussion cap out, uh, put a new one in. Here we go again, round two, pull the trigger and it goes, but you could tell that it was just not full bore. It was like a little lamb fart as Trent called. He named his muzzleloader buck snort. And he was like, that wasn't a buck snort. It was a lamb fart. It was like this most pathetic little gunshot you've ever heard. And Trent said like he could almost see the round, just like fucking limp dick out of the barrel, you know? Um, Go ahead, Carter. Man, hunting with the muzzleloader, doing it at peach bottom was the first time I've ever been around these stupid weapons uh, a couple weeks ago. And man, it is the most useless weapon on the face of the earth. Like, I don't understand why muzzle loaders are a thing. There's like so many steps and so many things can go wrong and nothing went right for anybody out of like 12 dudes that was there. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's frustrating, man. And the lesson we learned is that when you're muzzleloader hunting in anything other than dry, arid conditions, you got to fire it. You got to empty it. Um, and with this muzzleloader, you can't, we couldn't just undo the breach and pull everything out. We had to fire it to, to empty it. Uh, we weren't trying to waste bullets. So we didn't after the first two days. And so we had the same rounds in there and we were walking around and, you know, Idaho, we made that, we made that mistake. And that's what happened. Just the moisture of the air just got in there and the snow, it snowed a little bit. Um, and it, it fucked us. Uh, so yeah, it was a clean miss. Um, we went and looked for blood just because it's the ethical thing to do. We knew we missed, but there was, there was no blood and fucking, we got to watch, about depending on who you ask 40 to 80 elk run out of the valley into the next fucking country how disheartening was that for you 
Um, it was both and very, uh, it, it was extremely disheartening for about five minutes. And then I pulled my head out of my ass and reminded myself of where I was and what just happened. And I was like, you know what? This is day three of an eight day hunt. And we've been an elk every single day. Like I'm not, I am not going to let myself fucking become Mr. Poopy pants on the mountain. Like that's not fun for anyone. Like, fuck that. You know what I mean? Like I'm here, I'm doing it. I've been trying to do this for five years. Uh, I've been trying to do it my whole life, been trying hard, like actively trying for five years. Um, and so I, it was, it was disheartening for that, but I was still all smiles, man. And me and Perry, uh, he came down after the shot, you know, he was excited asking what happened. Cause he heard it and we told him, he's like, oh, fuck. And, but you know, it was, what do you think, Perry? I agree. It was, there was certainly initial, initial disappointment. Um, especially cause I was sitting back and I knew how close y'all were. And just the fact that we got that close to that many elk was amazing. We heard those, those bulls bugling on the other ridge across from us. Um, like I said, clean miss is obviously if you're going to have a miss, that's, you know, that was what we were hoping for. Um, and Trent and after, you know, talking back through and, you know, really thinking about what that gun sounded like when it went off. I mean, we knew what happened. There was no doubt in our minds. So, yeah, I mean, it was disappointing, but like Ed said, it, we we didn't let it ruin the the mood for us. Um, we still had a lot of time, and just just the fact that we'd gotten that close, you know, we couldn't help but still feel optimistic. So we walk out of there. It was an awesome valley. Um, it actually ended up being the the best valley, I guess, uh, the, of of our trip. Go out again. Go back. Come back next day. So we're on horse the next day. And we come in, and as we're on horseback, Trent immediately makes a J-turn and walks. So Trent's leading out. He J-turns the horse in the trail and comes back towards me and Perry, and he was like, hold up, there's elk up here. So we stop, kind of hide in some uh, willows, and there's another big herd of elk. Could have been the same herd? Maybe. Could have not been? Maybe. Um, and we're watching him again, and there's a fucking another stud bull in this herd. Like, And I'm at this point, I'm like, like it was a big enough bull, and they were close enough. I was like drooling. Like I was, my heart was fucking pounding, man. Um, and so we come up with a plan that they kind of moved up into the woods and gave us an opportunity to sneak because how we needed to hunt these elk, we needed to get past them in the low ground, come up behind them, get higher than them, and then drop in on them, which was the game plan. Well, the fucking enemy has a vote. This case, the enemy was the elk. So we end up doing that. And when we start coming up again, this is hours later of walking. When we start cresting, I see a shape through the trees and growing up hunting. Like I know that horizontal back line, even though it didn't look like an elk through the trees, like with my naked eye, I stopped through my binos up. I was like, oh fuck, that's an elk. And then as I'm got my binos up, another one walks and silhouettes itself behind this one. So I hold up Trent and Perry, um, tell them when we're at, we're under a hundred yards at this point to throw that out there. Like we're cresting the hill on the edge of this wood line. We're like coming out of the woods onto this um, open ridge top. And they're moving from the open ridge top into the woods to bed still pretty early in the day, really early in the day, actually um, all before lunch. We freeze there for what felt like an eternity to me. How about you, Perry? Like how long do you think we stood there? I don't think it was that long at all, but it, it did feel like a while. It, did, it wasn't made better by the fact that it was steep as shit. 
Yeah. We were like climbing up over, you know, deadfalls. We were in the woods at this point. So it was a, not a, you know, not a, exactly what you would call a comfortable perch um, to try to get into a good position. But um, I, I really don't think it was that long. Yeah. And if, if you've never tried to balance yourself on a steep ridge in the snow, not like, not just on a, in a meadow, like with underbrush and thick shit and you're trying not to move, you're trying not to make noise. Like <laughs> it's frustrating, man. Like my ankles were fucking cramping and being weird. My feet were pissing me off, but obviously like didn't want to move. These elk are close and they're coming in like t- they're, they're so close and there were so many, we kept looking like over our right shoulder. So that if we're facing them over our right shoulder, was where the ridge was coming up. We were, I I was expecting one to crest right there, which would have been at 15, 20 yards. And it wouldn't have been unreasonable. And honestly, they were probably standing there. So it was like, we were right in on top of them. Like where we came out, uh, we thought there were going to be one ridge over, but they actually moved down a terrain feature and then up into with a terrain feature that uh, we were using as a, basically a shelter. So we wait. And again, unisex tag, I was going to take a shot on the first thing that presented one. Well, Watch several, uh, watch several elk move. And then one started coming as it is about 72, 75 yards. Um, and I was like, okay, this is the one I told Trent, I looked over my shoulder and I was like, when, when, uh, it steps out, I'm going to take a shot. And he was like, yep, full sin. And keep in mind. So the sun is right in my face, right behind this ridge. So all I'm seeing is dark mass silhouettes of animals. Now they're not silhouetted up against like the skyline, but uh, like the, I, I wasn't seeing brown. I was just seeing black because I'm looking at the shadowed side of the, of the animal. Um, and it was like I was behind some brush. And so when I was going to take the shot, I was going to get steady and then just step out a little bit, hopefully not spook anything, get steady again, take the shot. Um, comes out. This is th- my least favorite part of the story. I think I'm holding in the right spot. It's kind of quartered to me. I'm steady as shit. Squeeze off felt good animals run where so this is shot number two day number four uh we go up there and check for blood find blood we're immediately happy but i i don't know like i it just wasn't a lot of blood and i wasn't feeling good based off of that obviously reloaded trance ecstatic though trance like no that's good blood um i was expecting more i guess because it's such a big animal i'm not sure what i expected but i just was i was expecting more blood well, we're walking and uh, Trent was like, I think it was a spike that you shot. Well, I'm thinking it was a cow, so I'm cool. I'm, well, it's a bull. So we're tracking it and then we see it. Um, we see the herd go up and over and then we see this spike. And we see the blood on its front right shoulder and it's low. The blood is. Now, it's not the shoulder, the same side where I shot. So we're like, okay, maybe the angle um, maybe that's why it's low based off. Cause I was, uh, um, below it on the hill. Um, but still it didn't make me feel good. He was definitely hurting. He was hurting bad. Um, and the, we would have pulled out right then and came back the next day, but there was a big snowstorm coming in that night and we knew we would lose the trail. Um, so we made a decision to give it about an hour. We ate lunch uh, and then we were going to fucking get after it. So to cut out a lot of details, because there was a lot of details on this one, um, we tracked down and up, get on really good blood, found where he laid down, um, and it looked like a bloodbath up there. I mean, it was, what do you think, Perry? It's probably the most blood I've ever seen. Granted, an elk's bigger than a whitetail, but it was a bloodbath. Just a smidgen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was like, 
dude, that, I mean, we ended up tracking this thing all fucking afternoon and we would find places where he would lay down and there'd be good blood. And we'd be like, all right, cool. He's, he's about to go. Like he's surely he's going to be bleeding out soon. I remember that I'm talking about that first ridge that he crested where he was like zigging back and forth. You could tell he didn't want to crest the ridge. He was staying on the backside. Like it was, it was a murder scene up there. It was a horror. It was a ton. And, but you know, then we kept going and it just fucking started to peter out. And that was like the whole, the whole trailing event. I mean, it was just confusing as shit. Yep. So skip forward. Um, it was that for the next six hours, no exaggeration. Like, well, I guess it was five hours. Um, and it, we, again, walking our ass off, obviously I'm beating my fucking self up here. Uh, just, I was, I was super down. I couldn't figure out what happened with the shot. The only thing we determined is that I aimed a little far forward. And so it went through the brisket and then came out that shoulder. So just probably didn't clip any vitals. Um, and if we did probably barely nicked a lung or liver or something like that. Um, he was not hurt. He was, he was wanting to lay down whether he would have laid down and died. Don't know. He laid down several times. But it just goes to sh- like again, like I, I, I've lost three animals in my life, and two of them have been this season. And it fuck, man, it does not get any easier with that. Like I despise that. Like it, <laughs> if I was a quitter, that feeling would make me quit hunting. But any thoughts on that, Perry? Before we move on, it was brutal. Um, and like I say, under if conditions have been perfect, because like we knew, like I said, he was wanting to lay down. And we just had to keep pushing him because this this storm was rolling in. Um, we weren't sure when. There were kind of conflicting reports as far as the weather goes. But, like, the worst-case scenario was that the storm was going to move in that night and just bury the whole fucking mountainside. So, like, we've got to give it, you know, we've got to get it, make every effort this afternoon, this evening, if we, if we think this animal is going to die today. Yeah. I mean, there was already um, six inches to a foot in most places. And then in some places it was like a foot and a half. Um, and they were calling like for, if we would have got what they would have been calling for, we wouldn't have even been able to access where we were, even with horses. Like th- it would have been too much snow too far back in there. So we were feeling the pressure of that, um, which was a shitty feeling big time. Uh, but I mean, again, it's hunting like everyone in this podcast right now and probably everyone listening is experienced one of those days where hunting's not the most fun. Yeah, man, that's that's fucking rough, uh, especially like your first time out, first time on elk. Like, it's brutal. That's the only like con- consolidation. Jesus Christ, I about said consolidation, consolation prize. <laughs> Pulling an Evan here uh, for like, when I missed my mule deer. Like, at least it was you know clean miss. But I mean, hundred percent. I mean, I've wounded them and lost them. I've lost a couple in my life. Like, it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you? Did you guys have the conversation? And I'm just going to ask you, dude, because like no judgment, but it just it's going to get asked, right? Did you get any have any thoughts of punching your tag there, or were you just like, I'm going to keep hunting? So again, I don't, I don't know. Like this is my first time ever in that situation, and we were like, we talked to Trent about it, and he was like, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. He's like, whatever you, whatever you think. Like, I, we didn't think it was a, a fatal shot based off what we saw how far he went but you you, you never know like that's, that's the thing like he started going straight up mountains now granted he wouldn't crest them but when where we took the shot he climbed two thousand feet and moved uh five miles dropping and then climbing again they're an impressive animal but like 
a, a fatally wounded animal, I don't think is going to be doing that. Um, so we ultimately made the decision not to punch the tag, but we were, so the plan was pending on the weather, we were going to come back and start there. We marked the trail on Onyx where we stepped off. The only chance of us finding this elk the next day is if he stayed in those pines and we didn't push him. Um, and so we were like, we're going to stop here because he didn't, he didn't push out. We would have seen him if he would have pushed out because it started getting narrow. He was, so he was above us in this, but we were only walking about, I don't know, probably 20 feet a minute. Like it was slow. Like it was really slow. If, if not less than that, like it was, we were not moving fast. Um, and we were just like, maybe he'll lay down and we'll be able to mark this spot and come back and just basically comb every inch of this pine stand and then find a body tomorrow. So that was our game plan. Well, so we decided to pull out, um, come back in. Or so, First time you've done that in a while. <laughs> da-da. So yeah, it was I had, a- Had to bring that one home. Yeah, it was, a, it was a long walk out. It was a long fucking walk out. Trent and Perry were both being super nice, but they I think they could tell I was not in a happy place. But I was like, all right, I'm going to take- I reserve, I reserve the rest of the night to be a pouty bitch, and then I'll be fine in the morning. But uh, so yeah, we walked out, ended up getting a ride from some good old boys who were hunting the next valley over, which saved us a fucking probably an hour walk um, when we got back down to the the road. Um, and then so we came up with a plan for the next day. So the, the weather did come in. We woke up morning was shit. We were like, well, we're gonna slow roll into town. Me and Perry both had some office work to do. Uh, knocked that out. Went to town, grabbed some food, gun shop. We're like, we're just going to go glass. We got a break in the weather after lunch about one or two. Um, walked up this valley, fucking foggy as shit. Couldn't really see, see if we could see a herd. Um, weather wasn't that great, but it wasn't terrible at this point. Uh, we're coming back out. And so I'm not going to throw the name of this town out there, but a small little mining town. Multi-million dollar homes in this small little mining town. Well, it's a re- rebuilt mining town. It's not a mining town anymore. Um, there is, when I say multi-million dollar homes, I'm not exaggerating in the least. Uh, and as we're driving, we see these elk and I'm like, Trent, pull over. There's elk right there. And I wasn't thinking anything. It was like, I'm, I mean, I'm not kidding you where we pulled the truck over right behind over my right shoulder is a fucking, one of the biggest houses I've ever seen in my life. Like this multi-million dollar fucking Rocky mountain vacation home. The house out Perry's window is like a farmstead that's been bought and it's a multi-million dollar spread with this cattle field and the elk are like intermingling between this other field and this guy's pasture um we're just stopping looking and i'm like is there's we look out the window and i see a this sign and it's like it looks like a game land sign and i look at trent i'm like is this is this public and we're the three of us are looking around each other like no way there's not this there's no way this is public trent pulls out on x and he's like bro, I think this is fucking public. Pull out your own X. I pull out mine. I'm like, dude, I think this is public. Perry, pull out yours. He pulls out his. He's like, I think this is fucking public. I don't know. How long did we sit there going back and forth on whether it was public or not, Perry? 10 minutes easily. Yeah. Like just not believing it. With elk at fucking anywhere from 25 to 200 yards, like a big ass elk herd just standing there watching us. Cars driving by. Um, (laughs) Uh, 
And so Translite, I'm, I, I'm excited at this point, but I'm also like, it doesn't feel right because we're, I mean, there's a farmer's field there. There's houses surrounding us, but it's 32 acres of public land in the fucking middle of it. And that's where this elk herd primarily is. I'm just like, that doesn't feel right. But I keep looking at Trent like, are we good? Are we good? He was like, fuck it, full sand green light. He's like, I'm going to pull down here a little bit. So we pulled down and there was a really good bull behind these willows, at like 120 yards um, from the shoulder of the road. Like no bullshit. There's a bunch of cows off to the left, more cows behind them, some, a smaller bull with the cows out of Perry's window off to the left, um, which that bull will be key for the end of the story. Uh, and then a bunch of cows off to the right. So I get out, like I'm packing the muzzleloader on the shoulder of the road. This fucking hippie in a Subaru drives by, sees what we're doing and starts blaring on the horn, trying to get the elk to run because she doesn't want her fucking pet elk her to get shot. But we're legal. No um, shit, dude. She's trying to run them off. Oh, yeah. Should have sent one through the back <laughs> fucking glass, homie. <laughs> it's a muzzleloader, dude. You <laughs> 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 wouldn't want to wouldn't be able to reload. That's wild, man. Dude, it was it was bizarre. Like, no, I'm I'm not making this up. And Perry had told Trent and Luke will fucking agree. I don't agree. But Perry told Trent at the beginning of the hunt, and he's like, I'm telling you right now, Evan's the hunky, luckiest hunter you'll ever meet. And uh, Trent's like, Trent Trent is in disbelief. He's been 100%. hunting elk his whole life. He's like, he I've never experienced hunter. anything like this. So the elk are seeing us at this point. We've been parked there for a minute. They're kind of getting weary of something's not fucking right. So when they let me out, they drove. So it like, and they let me out behind some bushes, hopefully to fool the elk, which it worked for the most part. Um, but two cows saw, could see me through the willows. And as I started creeping down, they didn't like haul ass bust out of there. They just trotted off. Well, they fucking pulled that big bull with them. I watched his big ass horns. I mean, he was a, he was a fucking big six by six. Like he was a big bull. Um, they pull him with them. And so I'm down in there at this point. I'd keep moving as I see him running away. Cause I know I'm not going to stop them. And if anything else comes through, I want to be as close as I can, uh, in case I need to take a shot and again, like we had talked about it in the truck. Like I wasn't going to take a shot unless it was like a guarantee. Cause we're surrounded by private, private land and houses are looking down on us. So we, there's no room for fucking this up. Um, so I get down there and a cow comes out to my right at about 50 and I was going to shoot her. Uh, and she comes out and I cow call at her a little bit. She stops. I turn and get steady on her as I'm steady. And I take my first breath. Uh, she trots off four more come behind her. And I'm like, okay, where there's that many, like I saw that how many was in this herd. I knew they were just going to keep coming. As they left, I saw an opportunity. Uh, there was a little gap in the willows in a dirt mound. And I was like, I'm just going to creep up on this dirt mound and wait. And that way I didn't have any obstruction in front of me. And anywhere elk came out from here, I would have had a shot. They would have stopped. And it would have been more than likely under 100 yards. Right about that time, like right as I was getting set on that dirt mound, I hear a cow call off to my left back from that uh, where those were that were in that farmer's field. All these that were moving out pulled those from that herd directly down to me and Perry, I, I, I want Perry to tell his side of this story after I finish, uh, from their perception. But so I hear the cow call and I get turned and I'm ready and I see the cow coming. Then I see the bull, uh, that was up there that I told you was smaller, not an impressive bull. He was a broken, uh, two by two. Um, 
he's right behind her. And I'm like, hell yeah. And they come down and they stop behind one little clump of willows. And honestly, I probably could have shot through, but again, surrounded by private, I'm not going to, it was like 120 yards and the, the trajectory they were on, they didn't see me. I knew they were going to come out. So they trot out. Um, and I cow call at them, stop them, whistle, uh, the bull standing right there. I ended up ranging the spot where I took the shot. I think it was 93 yards, 97 yards, something like that. Uh, take the shot, immediately start reloading. Um, as I'm reloading, I see him get the wobbly feet and just fucking tip over. And I mean, I was like nothing but adrenaline at this point. Finished the reload. I looked at my cell phone to see if I had service to call them, tell him it went down because I didn't know where they went. I couldn't see them at this point. Didn't have service. I was like, okay, I'm just going to walk up on it. Make sure he's down. Um, as I'm walking up, I see Perry and Trent coming down there. I give him the universal fist pump, letting him know that we fucking got one. And uh, as I'm walking up, I was not going to have this fucking elk get up and run off. And I hit him in the heart. He was dead. But he did pick his head up as I walked up. I was five feet away, and I just fucking put another one in him. I was like, you're staying down. <laughs> <laughs> so... So when we dropped Evan off, right, so our, the plan was, so we drove up a little bit of ways uh, up the road, so hopefully the elk would kind of focus on the truck leaving. We turned around and got to a spot where we could kind of watch. Um, we lost Evan down in, like, between the will. He There were a bunch of willows between him and us, but we could see all the elk that he was looking at from up on the road. So we had a, we had a good vantage point to kind of watch this whole hunt unfold. We saw that one cow that he described coming in, and – Dude, when you say you cow called, boys, this shit was the funniest thing I've ever heard. Because Trent had rolled the windows down in the truck, right? Because we wanted to be able to hear as well as see. And we just hear start hearing Evan go, eh, eh. That's not what I was doing. It sounded dude, way better than that bullshit. And dude, Trent and I started laughing our asses off watching you try to ca- call to these cows to get them to stop. Shit was hilarious. <laughs> Did hey, you ever read, or were you just doing it with your mouth? No, all mouth, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure that was dog shit. Oh, my God, man. What's your, was... your cow call, Luke? Go ahead, demonstrate for us. I use a read, bro, because I can't do it with my fat ass <laughs> tongue. It was fucking hilarious. But So we, we watched those move out, but we we saw these others that were moving towards him, and we're like, dude, we, we were just you know saying to ourselves, God, stay put, Evan, stay put. These are going to walk right in front of you. Sure enough, that's what happened. I was watching through the binoculars, and uh, we heard the shot. And I saw this bull just fucking drop. And I was like, he's down. He's down. Trent said, grab your shit. Let's go. <laughs> we grabbed the bags, grabbed the knives, and uh, started hauling ass down there. We we uh, were rolling up on Evan. And as we uh, we look at him, he turns around, looks at us. We're all excited. Like I said, that bull started like you know doing the old kind of death, death throws, picked his head up. And as Trent started to say, He's good, Evan. Boom! Put another one in him at five feet, man. I was like, yep, he's he's good now. So if folks were grilling on their back porch, exactly, they could see you. That's exactly what they were doing. That's exactly <laughs> what they're doing. Meanwhile, I'm like standing over this smoking elk carcass, just fucking grinning and fist pumping like a madman. <laughs> Meanwhile, we got like four millionaires' homes just looking down at us with these big bay glass windows they could easily see if they want some to some dickhead like, sitting in his study with a banana cognac going honey what are the pores doing out there oh 100 like when we <laughs> took the picture like that 
for the listeners out there, go to a, a HLE official and you'll see the picture. We took the picture and we were very strategic to make sure we didn't get any houses in the background, which was hard to do because there was around houses surrounding us on like 220 degrees of the fucking area. So in, uh, in Colorado this year, there was a non-resident who came in. I think it was near Telluride. <clears throat> did exactly what the fuck you did. Rolled through. There's this little piece of public in town. And the elk, the resident heard that like everybody is named every single one of these elk in town. Rolls up. This non-resident dude's like from Wisconsin or some shit. Blasts this elk. Goes in. Then has to call the game warning because it runs on the private. He comes. CPW dude's there and is like, yeah, it was technically legal, but pretty ill-advised because every fucking hippie's up in arms over it. Even like the hunters in the community are like, this fucking piece of shit couldn't just go up on the mountain like a man and hunt. He had to shoot one in town. So I just want you to know, Evan, you're that fucking guy in Idaho. This one <laughs> in town. Like you'll see, but it, fuck, it was legal. 32 acres of pu- public. I know. I'm just busting your balls, dude. I had done the exact same thing. I mean, and after hunting, shit, the, the land that Carter and I hunt up in Wyoming, you know, you're hunting fucking 15 acre parcels, 10 acre parcels in some cases, you know, just trying to catch them, catch them crossing. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. But it was honestly like it. I've had people ask me when I've told them, I think, I think Luke and Perry both asked me like, is, did it, did it take away from like the experience? And honestly it did a little, um, but not in this, like if that would have been day one, I wouldn't have taken the shot, but we got weathered out for the most, but that was the weather day. We got weathered out for the most part. Uh, we had, we had two good days of hunting left at this point. Um, and so like I was, what does Steve Rinella say? Never pass up something on the first day. You'd be lucky or glad to have on the last day. Like it wasn't the first day, but at the same time, like I don't know when I was going to get another opportunity, uh, to, to pull a trigger on a, on an animal. And I was that steady on one that was stopped and one that was that close. You know what I mean? Like we had been hunting our asses off and we saw a lot of elk and we got into a lot of good opportunities, but you never know what's going to happen on the mountain. You know what I mean? Like, so it didn't, I, I don't regret taking the shot in the least and I'm beyond ecstatic about it. The, the whole thing was phenomenal. I do kind of wish my first one wasn't 200 meters from a fucking road though. <laughs> yeah. If anybody had told me that morning that that was going to be the day that we got an elk, I would have said you're fucking high. Like there's, there's no way that, but Hey, you know, Sometimes shit just works out. And when you hunt with Evan, the luckiest son of a bitch out there. Have you ever told the listeners uh, who you were with, Luke, and how you got your first two deer? Uh, no, I don't think so. So That's a pretty funny pretty funny Evan story there. I came into hunting late. I was, I think I started hunting on my own at like 16. I'd gone some, some hunts with my dad and stuff. But my dad was more of a casual hunter at best. And so 16, I started hunting, had no idea what I was doing. Literally nobody ever taught me, told me it was just me and a gun walking around the woods. Uh, I would go sit places. I, you know, no regard to the wind, nothing. And so a couple of years go by and I was probably, was I 17 or eight? Yeah, I might uh, even 18, been 18. 18. And uh, no, we were 18. Yeah. And Evan's like, oh, I'll get you a deer. We'll just, you know, ride around, you know, whatever. And I'm like, ah, 
Well, you're missing a little bit. You hunted that morning with Perry and you didn't see shit. That's right. Me and Perry went out. We didn't see shit. And then I came back and you had killed one and you were going to dump the carcass. You're like, we'll just jump on the back of the four-wheeler. And that's right. You were like, oh, we'll just go right around. So we'd throw the carcass. I was was taking it as an opportunity to shit talk Perry. I was like, well, that's your problem. You went hunting with Perry. If you want to kill an animal, go with me. Yeah. And uh, which so we roll up and we crest this little IV line on the four wheeler. As we crest the IV line, there's a doe and, and Evan's like, shoot. So I grab my 30 out six and unsling it. And I, I think I just shot off hand. I don't really remember and smoked her perfect shot. It was awesome. And, uh, couldn't ask for a better shot. So then we go up, up to her and we, and then Evan's like another one. And we look up and there was a second one that we couldn't see from where I shot the first one. So I racked another round and this time it was just a very offhand rush shot, you know, saw her and I was already kind of excited about the other one. And, you know, like she dropped and I was like, oh, you know, whatever. Evan's congratulating me. We get the first one, throw her in, get the second one. Don't really, or no, we get to the, up to the second one. Evan's like, you dumb fuck, you gut shot the hell out of this one. And I did. It was a broadside shot and I shot her way back and just gut shot. And that's the. Now I've had deer that were the entrance, you know, the the exit has nicked the guts, but I've never straight gut shot a deer since then. After doing that one, it was pretty brutal. But no, it was cool. Yeah, dropped the first two deer with with Evan. Evan is the luckiest hunter on the planet. He will drive into the farm and nobody's seen deer the whole weekend, and he'll be like, shot two from the truck on the way in. <laughs> well, first off, I don't sound like that. Second off, maybe I'm just a better hunter than y'all. Have y'all ever thought about that? You're right. Shooting them from from the you know hood of the truck is just you're just hey the man. You you still got to make the shot. Yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about. Mid- Sounds like to me you could have hit that fucker with a rock. What the one from the truck? No, the ones yeah. from the truck that he's talking about. I remember exactly. Those were both over 250. So suck it, Derek. Oh, you've hell, been to you're the- shooting off a fucking truck. If you can't shoot 250 that way, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Well, what's the difference in shooting off a truck than shooting out of a tree stand? You're still steady. I mean, it all depends on how good your tree stand is. <laughs> yeah. Not those West Virginia <laughs> tree stands. Derek's got a bunch of fucking two-by-fours nailed to a tree. I'm pretty sure a West Virginia tree stand is a truck, or maybe just an old rusted truck cab that's been stuck in a tree by a cherry picker or something. No, it just grew up that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we fucking, we cleaned the elk, or not cleaned it, we just fucking obviously took the meat out. I can't say packed it out, because it was 200 yards to the truck. Surprised um, you guys just didn't drag it and take it back, do it at the Airbnb. Drag a fucking elk? 800 pound animal? That spike wasn't 800 pounds. I don't know how much it fucking <laughs> Dude, weighed. are you kidding me? How much is probably elk probably 450. I don't know, what do you think, Perry? Dude, a six six hundred pound is a nice bull elk. Perry's asking only pull about one hundred twenty five pounds. So yeah, I mean, cow elk, come cow elk are about four hundred pounds. Trent Trent's good on cardio, but I don't know if he's fucking dragging a fucking elk. Plus, dude, we, it was a first fucking elk. We had to quarter that thing, even if it was a two hundred yard pack out. We could see the truck up on the road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Had to get the game bags, buddy. You know. But, uh, yeah, it was awesome. And so to, to Luke's point earlier, man, like for, for you military guys out there that are not taking advantage of, of airlines, especially if you're hunters, you, you need to sign up for the programs, A, because you get um, on American Express, you get the annual fees waived and it's free money. 
Um, secondly, you get check bags for free. Um, and between the two of those things, between like my platinum uh, membership with Delta and then being military and the ladies were just super nice at the front desk uh, with when we had it. We had two big coolers and then two small soft coolers. I mean, it was 200 pounds of elk meat. You weighed it out. It was legitimately 200 pounds. Like one, it was 196. Um, so like we paid zero money getting it home. So worth it. Yeah. So on that note for folks that are military, like you'd get most airlines, you get free check bags. Now what's different, different is the overweight, uh, fees. Some will actually hit you if you're over 50, some of them hit you if you're over 70. And so that depends if you're on orders, there's no weight limit and you get up to five bags and I'm just, I'm just what do you suggest? I'm nothing. Mr. I'm just Cox. saying if you're on orders, uh, and a lot of airline <laughs> folks probably don't know what, you know, orders really look like, but I'm just saying, I've never actually done that, but I know folks that have for, not for hunting, but face. just for uh, <laughs> fucking fraud, waste and abuse. You piece of shit. It's from the airlines. They're all fucking COVID Nazis anyways. Fuck them. But <laughs> don't take, don't find a way to take from these men, sir. <laughs> not that that fits there but anytime you get the brothers i say go for it i was gonna say i don't really see the application there d-rock but whatever man but uh but yeah so nah, even even with just you know, normal military id you get three free check bags and so if you do your kit right and so <clears throat> and you can also take a soft cooler as a carry-on uh which i have done which we did yeah yep, and did. so and if you have multiple guys like you can you got to see how much gear and like, you know, you guys were talking about your overpacking. If you're flying, so the first time I flew for a hunt, I paid $150 in, in like fees. And that was like not again. So like I really streamlined my shit. And so if you got like a, a really large backpack, if you're going to be backcountry hunting, that's going to have to get checked. But you can have a smaller bag and then a cooler. And then if you know there's stuff you don't really like, like dis anything disposable, you can put in that cooler for the carry on or run it as a check. So you can get creative with different ways to really maximize um, your weight. And like I fly to and from Texas now fairly regularly to, to do hunts and I haven't paid for meat once. And I've killed, I don't know, three deer and two pigs, four pigs down there, something like that. Yeah. I will say they will check if you uh, have it as a carry on, they will check it because of how, a, how frozen meat looks or meat looks through the x-ray. They're, they're going to open it up. Um, be prepared to answer some questions that like in Idaho, they're probably used to that a lot. And they were fucking didn't ask questions at all. Uh, one of the other guys on the team said that they were super weird about it. Um, also a little pro tip, um, strike up a conversation with the flight attendant. And, uh, if she's curious in hunting offers her, offer her some of your meat from your carry on. And then you get 15,000 free sky miles points as a credit for the meat. Perry was like, what the fuck just happened? Cause I just hand this lady on the plane, some fucking elk backstrap. Did she give you your, her phone number? If that shit was anybody else on this fucking team, it's not my fault. Y'all look like a bunch of damn pedos with your fucking trashy mustache, Derek and your whatever. I got a beard, good one, Evan. but if Kate, if it's not a good one, but if Caleb or Pete would have fucking <laughs> tried that, they would have got fucking maced. They did that because <laughs> she wanted to ride the old pony baloney. <laughs> hey, listen, man. I'm not going to confirm or deny that. All I'm saying is that. And I don't hate you for it. I say, fuck, get as many free miles as you can. Fuck them all. I want to know what the uh, hell. You, you know she just threw that in the trash. 
I don't think so. What do you think, Perry? Uh, I don't think so. She seemed, she seemed genuinely curious, and I hope not because yeah, he gave she, her a fucking backstrap. So, yeah, probably gave it to her husband. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I mean, she was she was older. She was like in her fifties. We're not talking about like that's never stopped you before, my age lady. Like she. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> One foot in the grave, one foot in the banana peel, dude. That's what you're looking for. <laughs> oh, hell. All right. But, yeah, that concludes the uh, Idaho elk adventure. Fuck yeah, dude. That sounds like a badass trip. Other, other than, uh, yeah, it was. Other than getting to finally have some fresh elk steaks with uh, with Perry for fucking Christmas Eve, it was. Hmm. That must have been real nice. Well. I know. I'm, I'm going to send you some elk when I get back <laughs> from this fucking EDY trip, I promise you're gonna have some. <laughs> no, it's it's all good. Honestly, I'm fucking. I I haven't I've been home a week, and luckily it's been cold as shit because my all the beef my dad just gave me a quarter, a little over a quarter beef, and it's still sitting in the Yetis in the garage. Uh, so I got to get that shit in the in the deep freeze. So we don't have a lot of room room here. It's probably a good thing that my season was as unproductive as it was, or we would have been. Buying another fucking chest freezer. What? Well, uh, do y'all have any questions? I know I'm, I'm not talking to the listeners. Talk, Derek. Thanks for clarifying Carter, that. Luke. Yeah. Well, you never know. Evan thinks this is a fucking radio I, show. You guys just no, call in, call no, Evan personally no, while we're recording. Because if I wouldn't have said that, you would have made fun of me for not saying it. If I do say it, you make fun of me for saying it. I'm just, you know, now you're finally learning. Per, per, this is <laughs> yeah. Evan on WFRB. Why don't you call in with your questions and comments for me? <laughs> That actually be fun. Can we do a listener call in episode? Uh, we could do a live stream There's, live sometime. That'd be cool. When we're all together. There's a knife talk, uh, a knife <laughs> podcast that I listen to, and they do a fucking. They'll do listener questions and shit. So we should we should definitely try and do uh do that one time. Then be we couldn't tell Caleb because he would just keep calling in and sabotaging it and farting in the microphone or something. Yeah, he'd be like, he would answer. He'd be like, look at my butthole, and then hang up. Yeah, that's a hundred percent what he would do. But all right. No, man. I mean, I think it was pretty straightforward. I mean, what's what would you say the number one lesson? Like, if you had to boil it down, and obviously there's a, a hundreds of lessons you learned, but like, what was the one big takeaway that you know you you would say from this trip? Um, let's see, man. That is that is really hard because there was so many lessons. I'm trying to. I would say that uh, it it was the patience with elk. Okay, and what I mean by that, and we didn't really talk about it. But it is not like whitetail um, at all. Obviously, I know I'm, that's pretty apparent. Luke, before you fucking roast me for that statement, but no, I agree with um, you. It it's the, uh, a herd animal in the sense of an elk versus whitetail. They're they're moving in. You know, at the most we saw together was around a hundred um, when those two herds came together. That's a lot of eyes, a lot of ears, and a lot of noses, and. I learned that the elk's nose, like the whitetail's nose is its primary defense mechanism, the elk even more so. Uh, when you have that many, um, you really have to play the wind. Uh, you really have to be cognizant of where you're positioning yourself and your avenues of approach. You cannot just, even if it seems like you can, you cannot just use cover and concealment to move in on these things. You have to have the wind in your favor and cover and concealment. And the tactical patience with elk hunting, like we said in the beginning, um, finding them at first light, you need to be out at first light or shortly after trying to find them, glass them, feeding to bedding, and then move in on them 
while they're bedded and then set up where they're going to come out. That requires a lot of patience. It's a day. Most whitetail hunters are used to being patient for a few hours. So that was a difference for me. I think that would be the biggest lesson learned. If that, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, for sure. What do you got, Perry? Yeah, to piggyback on that, um, what I would say is whether you're first time elk hunting in Idaho or Colorado or dude, whatever whatever your first uh, kind of dipping your toes into, it could be turkeys, it could be whitetail back east, it doesn't matter. We, we've all preached, we've talked about it ad nauseum, like just if, if this is something you think you're interested in, get after it for sure. Go learn. There's, there's only one way to learn. That being said, all these things that Evan's describing about the elk, we picked up so much more quickly because we had someone with us that had played the game, that had experience. And so if you can find a mentor, a friend, um, again, whether it's elk hunting or whitetail hunting, it doesn't matter whether it's fucking fly fishing or, you know, chartering a boat, deep sea, any of these types of, of activities, find someone that has a little bit of knowledge, can kind of show you the ropes, um, t- describe some of their lessons learned, some of their mistakes, some of their failures and successes along the way. It'll, it'll absolutely, uh, pay dividends. I thought you were, uh, going to go with the old, uh, Oliver Cromwell, qu- uh, quote, put your trust in God, but be sure to keep your powder dry. I mean, that, that, <laughs> so that was in my head. That's I up was, there. <laughs> I will, yeah, for sure. But I, damn, that might be the name of this episode. Fuck. Now I'm, I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one too. Is this public? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but, keeping so the powder I whipped dry. It like, out, Trent whipped it out. Perry I, whipped it out. <laughs> I will never go on another muzzleloader hunt, and I don't give a fuck where I'm hunting. I could be hunting in Arizona in July. I am firing that muzzleloader, or I am emptying that muzzleloader at the end of the hunt, and I'm reloading fresh the next day. Yeah, I was really surprised. Like, and, and you know, once again, no judgment, but it's just I'm really surprised you guys didn't do that, especially with I think it was powder just in a. I think it was just arrogance, man, yeah. and like obviously, like it, like. I, I'm going to speak for myself. Like I, I don't like being wasteful, you know, like I don't want to just fucking fire unnecessary rounds, but at the end of the this, day, like I would rather fire his muzzle loader. Like can, can you unscrew the, the rear breech and just drive it out from the back? So not, not out in the, not out in the sticks like that. Like not on the mountain that we could have, but it's just, you, you need the special a, wrench. another tool. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it's not an easy one. It's not like the, it's an old muzzleloader, man. It's not like all the ones that we have, like the, it's just fucking yep. drop the breach and screw it out. Like that, if that was the case, that would have been easy, but you're still, you got to think about it. The only thing you're going to be saving is the bullet, which is worth it. But if you're, if you're emptying the muzzleloader because you think it got wet, you're not going to put that same stuff back in. Right. If you think no, the, the powder's fucked, but I mean, you, you should have, you know, five or six powder tubes, I'd assume. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. But it's just, it's one of those things like I, we should, we should have shot it and I, we, we learned our lesson and not, you know, that's, that's one of those lessons I will never forget the rest of my life. Um, and I learned it at 31 and I will fucking never make that mistake. Like I said, I'll go, when I go muzzleloader hunting, I'll have fucking 25 rounds just so I can shoot one every night. <laughs> Man, I, I, Quit being so goddamn cheap. They just keep printing money. You just keep yeah. making it. I know. No, it's it's a start sending me some half a year paycheck, Derek, and I won't be so cheap. Oh, for sure. Derek's making all that Checks big money. Checks in the mail, yeah. dude. <laughs> all right, shit. This one's gone on long enough. All right. Carter, you got anything? No, nah, man, I'm just happy for you. I mean, 
you got to put hands on a bull elk you killed. That's freaking awesome, man. That's it's awesome to hear the story, and I can't wait to hopefully do that one day as well. Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. It was it was fantastic. Uh, you listeners go look at it. You'll you'll see on HLE page. It's not a it's not a big old bull, but you know what? For it'll be it'll always be a trophy for me. If fucking as kind of homo as that sounded as it came out of my mouth, like it was it was fucking awesome, man. No, that shit's real. What do you got, Derek? Yeah, don't put that shit down, dude. You fucking went out and got it done. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter if it was the smallest bull in, in the uh, the lower forty eight or or the biggest motherfucker walking. Like, doesn't matter. You went out, you did it, and uh, and you got got it done at the end of the day. So, like, don't put it down at all. I'm stoked for Hell it. Hell yeah, man. appreciate that. Hell yeah, looking forward to getting that uh knife made with the ivories. Oh yeah, that'll be fucking cool, dude. I'm, I'm just hoping I don't fuck them up. Nah. Speaking of Derek's My knives, we'll be a little bit puckered for that. Speaking of Derek's knives, we're uh, we went ahead and settled on at least some of the prizes for the uh, Hunt Lefty Fitness Challenge, February Fitness Challenge. That's going to be one of Derek's knives. You're going to be able to pick uh, one of a couple, and then you're also going to get a big frig Hunt Lefty cooler. So that's like right there. It's like a six six hundred fifty dollar value. Uh, actually, fuck more than that. Almost a seven hundred fifty dollar value. And then you'll probably get, you know, a tumbler, shaker bottle, something else, some other shit thrown in. But so guys, definitely go sign up for that. Uh, we're going to have the link posted on the website and in the, our Instagram bio for you to go drop that shit. It's going to be on my fitness pal. Sign up. The rules will be on a couple different Instagram posts and also be posted on the website. But as it always, we appreciate the hell out of every single one of you guys. Thanks so much for tagging along.